Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the campfire with the Paranormies. Uh, my name is Reinhard von Krieger, and I am joined by our intrepid Paranormies host, Johnny Monoxide. What's happening, everyone? What's up, Reinhardt? Not much. You know, I'm feeling cozy tonight, actually. Yeah, that, you know, yeah. It's a nice cozy night. That's usually not a good sign, actually, <laughs> I've learned. Because <laughs> when we're sitting around here feeling cozy, feeling nice, I feel like there's something that's going to happen. I don't know. Maybe I've just read too much. I don't know. Maybe the moon is ridiculous tonight, though, so maybe that's got to do with it. It's absolutely beautiful, and I could actually see it this morning, this afternoon, and this evening, all from the same perspective. You can see hmm. it all day? Wow. All day. Hmm. I don't have an icon, though, so you know, I, I'm not believable. Right. You can only see it with your naked eye. We all know that, um, that uh, what do they call it, um, anecdotal evidence does not constitute facts. Yeah, so uh, yeah. who? what do I know? Exactly. Whatever. It's pretty. It's pretty. Whatever it is. Oh, oh yeah, on the way home from the gym this evening, I pointed out to the boy that there were clouds behind the moon. And he was like, nah, -uh, Dad. And he looked. And he's like, wait a minute, it is behind the moon. That's weird, Dad. <laughs> Hell no, there ain't. Oh, wait. Yeah. What? Right? I was like, whoa, there really are. All right, cool. And then I showed him. I was like, well, explain me this. If the moon is 237,000 miles away, how is it only lighting up those clouds right there? <laughs> when I did the, I showed him like with the, the camera, like the light on the, my phone, like close and far and whatever. It's like, there's mm -hmm. here. Here's 237,000 miles away. And here's what that looks like. Pretty close, right? <laughs> He's like, man. And you can see, you can see, kind of get a little bit depressed. Like you know, I just took away it's space. Like, yeah, it's like your kid's. He's the meme sitting at the table with the the bottle of liquor, but it's like you know, soda. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my god. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But for once, we are not here to talk about nope. geocentrism or heliocentrism. Nope. Um, tonight, this is the campfire. We're sitting here listening to uh, actually somebody else tonight. So we give our own content. We give our own theories, ideas about things that are going on, about spooky experiences. Well, around the campfire, we listen to somebody else, their personal experiences, your personal experiences, actually, whether it's UFOs, Bigfoot. If you've been charmed by the Loveland Frogman, <laughs> charmed. You mean you mean molested yeah, by the Loveland yeah. Frogman? Oh, I mean, come on! Can we have a family-friendly first hour anytime? Uh, no. You you're the one that brought up the Loveland Frogman, not me. <laughs> you're right. right. Hey, I did a good job with that meme. This is true. Um, That's a great meme. It's a great meme. <laughs> I know it is. I mean, we can sit here all night and just joke about Ohio, and that, that would take, I don't know, we could have an entire series about Ohio. Oh, um, my goodness. That's not what we're here for, though. No, around the campfire, what we do, and you can email us at 
paranormies present at gmail.com or get a hold of us on t.me slash the paranormies present. Um, you can bring us your personal stories of the paranormal, whether it's a cryptid sighting, UFOs, um, uh, satanic cults chasing you. I've heard some crazy stuff recently. Um, whatever the case may be, if you've got a strange, weird, terrible story that you feel that needs to be shared or that you want to share, please approach us and we'll bring you around the campfire and we will tell your story or you can share it yourself. We don't want to, you know, impede on anybody else. But tonight we have a great friend of the show, a wonderful brother in Christ. There's a good man here named Malice. And this guy has had an amazing life, an amazing, <laughs> astounding, like, I don't know how he's alive. Well, Johnny, like, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of people that wonder that about me as well. So I got to hear this. Um, yeah, Malice has been, Malice has been around our chat for quite a long time. Um, with commenter now he's, he's one of our admins in our chat and, uh, I've been looking forward to this one, man. What's up, Malice? Hey guys. Glad to be here. Appreciate it. Dude, it is so good to have you around here. Um, like I said, I mean, from my perspective at least, praise the Lord that you that you are here with us. You're a great, great friend. You've been around for a while, like Johnny said. Um, and uh, you've got a lot in your life that has happened that uh, most people would, would – I feel like they would just kind of buckle, right? They would kind of buckle and fall, and it, it would break somebody very you easily. Know, if this, if some of the stuff would have happened to me, you know, later in the years, I, I could see that happening. Um, but uh, when you kind of start out with it, just being kind of part of your your reality, um, you you get used to it. To be perfectly frank, um, <clears throat> you know, as far back as I can remember, um, there was a lot of weird things that happened to me that I just kind of accepted as part of what the experience was that, you know, I was living. Um, I was lucky to uh, grow up with a parent who was very much um, entertaining to the idea of of things that you necessarily couldn't see or, or hear or feel tangibly. I was uh, one of those kids that if, you know, I told my mom there was, you know, a monster in my room, she would actively look for it. Uh, I think I was lucky in that regard. I think a lot of people, uh, especially adults shut down um, children with, with, with those kind of issues saying it's, you know, the imagination, you just had a dream, that sort of thing. But my mother never did that with me. And so when I would experience something, I was never afraid to tell her what was going on. And I was always very much um, just accepting of whatever was happening. I never, I never second-guessed myself or what I was seeing. I just took it on face value, Right. Um, I think that was a big part of growing up was that ability to accept or 
kind of entertain things that might not necessarily be part of whatever mainstream reality narrative was being fed you at the time. Um, as a as a little kid, I can remember quite a few times there were weird things that happened. And when I uh, told my mother, it, it, her reaction to what was going on was was not what you'd expect. In fact, um, there was a, there was a couple things that that stick out when I was very young. Um, that my mother, how she reacted to the situation, kind of solidified to me that okay, if my mom knows about these things, then there's definitely things out there that you necessarily can't see or or touch, but they're they're still real. Um, when I was probably five or six, uh, I remember going to bed and my mom, um, you know, tucked me in and all that. And there was a, a pile of magazines in my room. And as I was laying there, um, getting ready to go to sleep, a uh, magazine landed on my bed and I kind of was like, what was that? So as I'm laying there, uh, another magazine lands near the bed. And next thing you know, this whole stack of magazines is flying around the room. I mean, like somebody's just taking these things and hucking them every which way they can. And um, so I start freaking out and I start screaming for my mom. She comes in. At first, she had that typical parent reaction, like, you know, why are you why are you calling me? What what's going on? Because obviously there wasn't really anything on the face of it that she could see was wrong when she first came in. But when I told her that the magazines were flying around the room and she looked around and saw magazines like literally everywhere and me in bed, um, she did something that was pretty unexpected. I thought I was in trouble, but she started to challenge um, whatever had had thrown these magazines, whatever uh, force or whatever you want to call it, and she she told it, you know, to stop doing what it was doing, to leave me alone, uh, wasn't welcome in the house. And with that, you know, I got a, a kiss on the forehead, and and the lights went back out, and nothing else happened. Um, and that was pretty formative for me, especially because I realized, wow, you know. My mom came in here and she she told whatever did that to stop and it did and it went away. Um, my my childhood was kind of uh, marked with with instances of of those kind of events. Um, I honestly think that a lot of it stems from uh, bloodlines. I think that depending on your ancestry, uh, you can be more attuned. To this kind of thing than than other people, per se. Uh, my my uh, bloodline actually is traced to uh, the Plantagenet bloodline, uh, which would which were the French kings oh, um, of England, right? So oh god, <laughs> yeah they uh, hmm. they actually uh, are are called the the Devil's Brood in some historical circles. So the the whole family line is is kind of mired by um, very very interesting events. Um, obviously, the probably the most famous Plantagenet is uh, 
uh, Edward the the of England, uh, Longshanks, who was famous for being the evil king in, in Braveheart. So I'm a direct descendant of him. Uh, he's like my 29th great-grandfather. Um, I think roughly there's about 100,000 people worldwide that can trace their their lineage directly to, to him, um, which is not a lot of people if you really think about it. And on the flip side of that, I'm also related to an individual who killed the last of the Plantagenet line in the War of the Roses on the Battle of Bosworth Field. So there's kind of a weird dynamic where, you know, this cursed bloodline and then you have a bloodline that ended the bloodline that I'm also related to um, in, 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 I don't know if it's, it's ironic, but uh, it's 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 definitely an interesting um, turn of events. And then you have that lineage of the family being disowned by the royalty at the time, and ended up, um, you know, one of them being executed as a traitor to the to the crown. Um, you know, his his grandson. So uh, I think that a lot of those things follow you through your bloodlines. Um, I think that a lot of people that, that experience and deal with these things um, may have this as some kind of generational um, curse or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very open about my bloodline that, you know, comes from the Rosicrucians and I mean, your bloodline is, is far superior to mine. If we're talking about, elite status, you know, quote, um, man, that's, that's far more. And like we've said, there's no such thing as coincidences. That's, that's pretty insane that you've got both sides there. Yeah. That doesn't doesn't make one side evil and the other good. I mean, both sides could be just as bad. Um, so there's, there's a, a, a lot of history there. There's a lot of stuff going on, and we know with the Royals, um, especially with what has happened this past year, um, you know, these these bloodlines are very cautious in what they do, um, and even the people who are descended, uh, like you said, the people who are descended, they they basically have the sins of the fathers, right? To put it in layman's terms, um, even if they don't realize it there could be things that affect them through their bloodlines that just parents and grandparents don't understand. I think we've heard countless stories of people who just don't know why their family seems to be attracted to these certain things. Even if they're, they don't have to be Satanist. They don't have to be even Christian. They could be completely atheist and they still deal with, with certain stuff. Um, but we can move on, but you, but you're right. Bloodlines are very, very important. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, jumping back to some of you guys' previous shows, uh, especially, you know, when you guys talk to Gary Wayne, I mean, these dragon bloodlines, these bloodlines that, that have the, the, the ISIS gene or whatever they call it, um, you know, that's that's important to the elites. So, I mean, there, there's definitely something going on there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 
personally, in my experiences, I attribute some of it to that uh, just based on, you know, personal experience and, and the fact that I that I that I am related to those bloodlines. But, um, you know, there I, there's other factors involved, too. And I, and I think that regardless of whether or not you're connected to that blood, that um, that paranormal realm, that unseen realm is still part of your life, whether you choose to recognize it or not, it's still there. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, is, is, is not going away. It's, it's, it's part of the fabric of, of our reality, really. Um, I think just some people are more, more tuned into it. Some people pay attention to it more. I, I think very easily if my mother had come in and, and, and acted in the complete opposite that it, it, very well might have set me on a different path as far as what I recognized as something that was, you know, possibly paranormal or whatever, or even justifying to myself, like, yeah, what I just saw really wasn't what I just saw. And I'm going to rationalize it out of my brain. And I think a lot of people end up doing that. And by the time they hit puberty, um, puberty, as you know, you know, changes quite a bit of, uh, your, your body chemistry, your, your, your brain chemistry, um, by the time that happens, it's, you know, it's, it's effectively either so tuned out, you're so tuned out of it that you just don't recognize it when it happens, or you really are just not experiencing it at that point. But that wasn't the case for me. So, um, <laughs> the, the next major <laughs> thing that, that I remember was, um, an incident with my brother. Um, we were young. We were we were both in in elementary school. Um, the elementary school that I went to was very close to my house, so we walked. And I mean, this is this is the eighties. Um, you know, I'm 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 a Gen Xer, so you know, parents let you walk places without really oh, yeah. caring. You know, I'm, I know I'm Johnny surrounded knows this. by Gen Xers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Johnny can attest to this, man. I mean, you know, it was like you come home and the lights. You know the street lights come on, oh, yeah. and whatever you're doing in between, then it it doesn't matter. You're, you just you, as you just, long as yeah, you're you get out of school, are. you go home, you do your homework, you go out and play with your friends until the lights come on, and then you better get home. Yep, yep, yep. and that's what it was. I mean, and whatever you were filling your time with, really, they 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 could care less unless mm-hmm. a, a police officer brought you home or you know <laughs> whatever. Right. But um, so we would walk to school and. Honestly, man, I really didn't like having a little brother. I'll be perfectly upfront with that. I didn't like having a little brother. <laughs> he was annoying. He played with my toys. I didn't like that. Um, so I would, on every occasion that I could possibly take advantage of, I would ditch him. And I would, I would, I would get home before he would. I would leave with my friends. I would get on my bike before he could get on his. Whatever it took. To get away from him, I would do it. Looking back on it, probably wasn't, you know, very brotherly of me, but that's Asshole. how I was when we were. We were <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was funny because there wasn't a lot of uh, parental reinforcement on, like, uh, taking care of your siblings back then. Um, I remember getting in trouble for snitching on my siblings. You know, you tattletale, everybody gets in trouble, and then you get in trouble for tattling. Right. So well, I feel like it's as as long as everybody comes back alive, no like blood and broken bones, then you're fine. That's pretty much it is what it is. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So um, so I would I would I was a grade ahead of him and I would 
get out of school and I would ditch him. I would I would leave with my buddies. I would go to my buddy's house, or I'd come home before he did. Um, around that time, my my parents moved my room from my own room into the room with my brother and my sister. So we had bunk beds. So my brother and my sister were on a bunk bed, and then I was on my own bunk bed. And then they turned my old room into a guest room. Uh, we had a lot of uh, family that would that would come in from out of town. So rather than make them stay in hotels and whatever, because this is very this is very old school mentality, like that people stayed with you. So my my both sets of grandparents would stay with us, um, aunts, uncles, great uncles, whoever came into town would stay at the house. So they 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 created. We had a lot of extended family, so. They, they made the guest room. And we could play in it and stuff like that, but as far as sleeping in it, I didn't sleep in it. I slept in, in the other room. So around this time, um, tent beds were were starting to become a thing. So I remember I had a uh, – and this is, this is kind of funny. I had a space shuttle tent uh, over my bunk bed. Gay. I remember those things. Gay. Do you? Yeah. And oh, then the I tent beds? Yeah, I never had one. Yeah, there was a little blow-up uh, uh, engine that you could Velcro to the top of it, oh, you know, to really add that, you know, um, you're in a special feeling. I mean, it probably so, looked just as real as the one they flew around in 2010. Oh, it was probably the same materials. Right, right. So, anyways, um, <laughs> so it was white, and I could kind of see, you could see lights and stuff through it, and you could see, um, like, silhouettes, right? But you couldn't really, like, make out somebody's features on their face or whatever if you were looking through the fabric on this thing. And uh, we had a little nightlight, so the room was kind of illuminated. And my brother was on the top bunk across from us, and my sister slept on the bunk underneath. And we, 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 we grew up rural, so, you know, closing your, your windows and stuff like that at night wasn't a thing you did, uh, unless it was middle of winter, really. So, you know, we're, we're talking... Uh, you know, late late summer. You know, beginning of school. So the we, windows, real quick, real quick. I'm sorry. Yeah. Are we talking like southern U.S. or, or northern West Coast? Uh, de- de- well, high desert. Um, okay. All right. Yeah. So, so not typically closing your window. No. Um, and we lived in a mountain valley. So gotcha. okay, we, we weren't at super high elevation, but. The wintertime, you get snow. Summertime, you, uh, there's no such thing as central air either. So in the summertime, <laughs> right. your, your windows were open. Yeah. It, that's just the way it was. Unless, you know, uh, you had a swamp cooler or something like that, y- your windows were open. And that's just <laughs> the way it was. Okay. So windows cracked. Um, I remember we, we had cats. So it, w- it wouldn't be uncommon for a cat to come into the house or, or exit the house through the window. In fact, my dad used to get mad at us because we'd leave the windows open at night and the cat would come in. He wanted it to be outdoors. So um, I remember I, I see something come in through through the cracked window, and I assumed it was one of the cats. Uh, shortly thereafter, um, there's a big commotion on my brother's bed, and he starts screaming. And whatever whatever had just come into the room or ran out of the room, well, I, I – kind of got to see it a little bit and the back leg looked like an animal leg, you know, the digigrade leg, almost like a cat leg. So I just assumed 
that what it was was a cat. So my brother's freaking out. My mom comes rushing in. She consoles him. What's going on? Oh, there was something on me, mom. You know, uh, real incoherent. She thought he was having a dream. Around that same time, my sister was would have night terrors. So um, my mom kind of was already kind of geared for that this was just a dream. She never asked me, and I never volunteered any of the information that, that I saw because I just assumed it was a cat. I didn't think it was something that I needed to add. Like, oh, hey, mom, there was a cat in here. I didn't want to get in trouble for my dad. So um, long story short, she ends up, you know, putting us back to bed. Nothing else happens. Over the next week or so, um, my brother becomes increasingly resistant to going to school and like irrationally not wanting to go to school. And he would come up with all these bizarre excuses and reasons not to go to school. So um, I want to say about three or four days into this, he actually comes home and he's got um, his, his button up shirt has buttons missing and he looks like he's been in a fight. So when my mom is like, what happened to your shirt? He tells her oh, I was in a fight. So I know he wasn't in a fight. I, I know for a fact he wasn't in a fight. And so I was kind of very like, why would he tell her that? And who, you know, how did he do that? Like, I'm thinking, did he do that? So I thought it was a little odd, but my mom basically at that point was like, you need to walk home with your brother because she thought he had a bully. And obviously, you know, bigger brother is going to stop bully. And that was just the mindset. Like my mom fully expected me to fight the bully if, if, if my brother was confronted with him. So that right. was my job. And for the next few days I had to walk home with my brother. And, you know, my mom was, was like a hawk when, when she told you to do something, she was going to trust, but verify that you did it. So I, I didn't do the normal, you know, ditch thing with him and stuff like that. For the next few days, I, I stuck with him. Nothing ever happened when we walked home. Um, but then as, as, as it progressed, these, these nightly events where something would happen to him would, would happen more often. And there were times where I wasn't asleep or I was asleep and I, I you know, I, I woke up to him yelling or whatever. So eventually it gets to the point where he's 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 really refusing to go to school it's kind of like it's really starting to interfere with with how the family's operating at this point um and then uh basically as as this started to to kind of come to a head um you know i knew i kind of had the idea that there was something else going on maybe a little a little I knew he didn't have a bully, which, which was like the big thing for me was like, what, how is my, what is happening to my brother? So, um, my brother wouldn't tell me. And, and, and that was kind of weird for him. Cause he, he was, he would always say, you know, what was on his mind or whatever. He didn't have a problem with that. Um, but he, for this, for whatever reason, he just was very, was very quiet about and would come up with all these weird scenarios to explain away what was going on. So one night, um, the window was closed and my mom started closing the window cause it was getting, it was getting colder at night. Um, and I'm kind of laying there and I, I have a hard time falling asleep. So I, I would be awake probably an hour or two sometimes depending, you know, uh, if it was a weekend or whatever, past the time that my brother and sister would fall asleep. So I would just be laying there. And I remember one night 
that the window starts to open and um as i'm as i'm kind of laying there and i see the silhouette of whatever's coming in the the room i'm kind of like cognizant that it's this i don't know if this is a cat and how the hell did a cat just open the window so i'm like scared right so i'm just kind of laying there and the same thing happens again and and my my brother wakes up screaming and this thing fires out of the window but i got a kind of a better look at it this time and it was it was larger than a cat definitely and it it fired out of the window so my mom comes in um you know it it's at, at this point like i know that something was not a cat that came in and i i tell my mom and so but, but she eventually gets it out of my brother that this thing – he was walking home from school one day that I ditched him. I kind of feel bad for this because I almost feel like it's my fault that this kind of opened a window for this to happen. But he says that there was this thing that looked like a Tasmanian devil. So now when we're talking Tasmanian devil, we're not talking about the actual animal. We're talking about something that looks like the cartoon, the Looney Tunes cartoon. So – he said that he saw this thing on the roof of the school and it basically jumped down and jumped on him and wouldn't let him go. And, and my brother tried to get it off of him, but he couldn't get it off him. And this thing is telling him like, you can't get rid of me. Um, you know, I'm not going to leave. And as you know, my brother would, would eventually get this thing off of him and he would come home. And usually that's when he would look disheveled, like he got in a fight. So, the thing would tell him, you know, as it's, you know, accosting him, you know, your family doesn't love you. They don't believe you. They won't believe you. You can't tell them, you know, the, it was telling him all these like really like vicious lies basically. And, um, it was really causing my brother to like pull away from us. And, uh, so once he tells my mom that she's like, she's like, well, that's not true. We love you. And, you know, and she, she does what she goes back into that mama bear mode that she was in that night of the the magazines. And she, she basically rebukes this thing in the room and she tells it it's not welcome and that you can't have my son and, and we love him and there's nothing you can do to, you know, stop that. Um, you know, mind you, this is a long time ago. I was really little when this happened. So I don't remember, you know, the, the, the intricate details of what she said or did, but that was the gist of it. And, um, you know, she put him back to bed and she basically told me, you know, like now you really need to watch out for your brother. So, um, so everything was kind of quiet after that. And then one night it came back into the room but this time I wake up to what I think is cats fighting. It sounds like two cats are like fighting, like two tomcats. And it's loud and it's, it's very uh, frenetic. It's, it's crazy. And, and I'm trying to unzip my, my tent to see what the hell is going on. And I don't get the chance. By the time my mom started turning the door or whatever was going on, both of these things jumped out of the window. So... I, you know, I come out of my little tent there and my mom was like, what's going on? Did it come back? And my brother basically says that, yeah, it came back. And when it got onto his chest, that another one appeared and they were red and black. 
so the red one was the one that was coming in through the window, but the black one appeared and started fighting it. And it fought it basically off of my brother. And they, it, they, these two things were fighting in the middle of the room. When my mom started to turn the door, they both fired out the window. So we didn't actually see the fight. My brother was the only one that saw the fight, um, but he was he was deadpan that a black one that looked identical to the red one appeared and started fighting it. So the only the only conclusion I could come from that was that was some kind of manifestation of either you know my mother's love or it was you know some kind of divine intervention. But um, whatever it was, um, it, it stopped it. And, and then didn't happen again. And then my brother told my mom that he saw this thing jump on another little boy after school. And then that was the end of it. None, nothing ever happened again that, that way. So, wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, uh, real quick, Johnny, we need to timestamp. Okay. Um, hearing some kind of echo. Wait, no, what's going on? The hell? Yeah, it was just a, you know just a ghost dropping by. Just say hello real quick. Yeah, apparently. Uh, okay. Well, if we can timestamp that and edit that out. Um, We're not going to start over. Anything. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll just start over. So, wow. That you know, I I heard this story before. I'm just being completely honest to the audience. I've heard this story before, Malice, and it 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 adds more questions every time. You know, I asked you when we were talking about this, um, what your brother thought about it, and. You told me that he's never spoken of it again. No, I, you can you cannot get anything out of him, no matter how, how hard you try. He will not talk about this event. He and, won't act like it didn't happen, but he will not talk about it. And he'll actually get pretty aggressive if you do try and bring it up to him. It's freaking weird, and and the fact you know too uh, between you and me talking the first time and now, um, I've. I've heard a lot of experiences of people with uh, with Dogman, and that's kind of what I was going towards <clears throat> at first. And then you mentioned it's not Tasmanian Devil, the animal, right? This this isn't yeah. like a four legged creature. This is something that can go on four legs, but but it's to be to be from what I saw, the the digigrade legs were were. Reminded me more of like a kangaroo's legs than like a cat's legs. Does that make sense? So maybe maybe even more like canine because kangaroo and canine legs like they, they possibly do bend a certain way. I never right? I never saw okay anything besides this thing's back legs. I, I never saw its its four legs. I never saw its its face. I never saw anything other than the color of its fur. And the digigrade legs. I don't even remember that it had a tail, to be honest with you. Um, hmm. I, I don't think it had a tail. And no really, tail. I which the reason why I came up with the cat was because that was like part of my reality as that little kid was like I had cats. You know what I mean? So if something was coming in and out of my room, 
it was a cat. You know what I mean? Well, right. And that was that is has always been for hundreds of years the like defining factor between some kind of familiar or a demon, yeah, something spiritual that took the form of an animal. Or a werewolf, a were being, a you know, a human that transformed into something else was like that human. It never had a tail, like right. in Irish and, and like UK mythology. Uh, the werewolf never has a tail because it's a man, truly. Um, but otherwise, yes, it would have a tail. And yeah, this thing, this thing, I from everything that I experienced, that I, I feel like it was completely spiritual. Like that, the physical okay. properties that it took on were very like secondary, temporary. Yeah, like you know it, what I mean. It was, it like was like mostly it, a spiritual being, but it, it temporarily right. took on that physical form. It was physical. Um, you know, the other thing that that I really think that happens when you're encountering these type things is that you're kind of co-creating what you're seeing, and that these things do sometimes cleave to whatever is in your mind. You know what I mean? Like if you're a Bigfoot believer and you encounter something large and in the woods, you're automatically going to co-create Bigfoot, right? It might not necessarily even be that creature, but you kind of helped make whatever it is. And I don't think that's the case for everything. I think there are are is a thing that is a Bigfoot and it's not anything else. And I think there is a dogman thing that isn't anything else. But I think that there are things that are in between that you can kind of co-create what it what it looks like to you or what you perceive it to be. And there's a lot of cases of that with especially high strangeness, um, you know, stories where people will see three or four people will see kind of something a little bit different to each of them or some of the people don't even see it at all. Right. No, I completely agree. I mean, Johnny, uh, what do you think here in this story, really for the first time? Because you're you're just joining us, not not having this conversation beforehand. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Uh, as far as what what do I think the what do I think the the, the creature was? Yeah, just what's sorry, I was going just being bombarded with uh, two creatures myself. <laughs> and, uh, I know. I that's what I'm saying. Like hearing hearing this, I mean. Malice bombarded me with this. I didn't expect this at all the first time around. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> again, you know, like, like, and how old were you again, Malice, when this happened? Uh, I was probably second, first or second grade, and my brother okay, was kindergarten. Okay, so like seven or eight. Yeah, about okay. that. I mean, yeah, I mean, like you, you did say though that um, you did often have the windows open and the cats jumped in the windows, right? Yeah, but this window was closed. Well, the, the, the first couple times it wasn't, okay. um, the, the last time, the time when the second one appeared, it was, it was closed and latched in the inside. So whatever opened it, opened it, you know, supernaturally. I'm gonna oh, you didn't even tell me that it was, it was latched from the inside. That oh yeah. Time. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Not, I don't mean to look, interject. No, it's continue. okay. You had one of those big metal latches that when you close it, it goes and it, and it, you can't open it. Hmm. So, so whatever came through the window would have had to have made that latch unlatch. Yeah. That's see, that's odd. Yeah. yeah. 
the fact that the fact that I never saw like it in its entirety, um, even though you know I could I could see forms and stuff mm-hmm. through the thing, but the the times that I were able to look through the little crack or hole in in the doorway and and actually saw a piece of this thing physically, um, what my brother described it being and what I saw were. I, it never kind of lined up to me. Like I, I, I never, I never interpreted it as, as what he said it, it looked like to him. So I almost feel like maybe it was presenting a different type of form to him. Hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> that would definitely make it more of a, um, maybe like an ethereal creature or something. Yeah. You know, I, it, it's funny because you, in the future beyond this, when, when I started to get involved with, more esoteric things and, and I started to to get into you know um, ceremonial magic and like Enochian stuff and I was reading a lot of Aleister Crowley this thing didn't even really fall into like any kind of category of like what you would typically associate with like a demon or like demonic oppression or like the beginnings of a demonic possession even so I honestly, it really doesn't fall into any kind of category that you would really kind of just go to. Yeah, it's to this day. I really honestly couldn't definitively give you like a sense of what it actually was. I, I I mean, you know, people talk about different things like, oh, you know, elementals and things like, I, I don't know. I mean, I get the feeling that whatever it was, was kind of a parasite because it was, it was really true trying to invoke like specific types of feelings in my brother and, and driving a wedge between him and, and the family. And I, and I, and I kind of only feel like it was really just trying to isolate him so it could feed. Yeah. It's, it's good that you bring that up too. I mean, I, I know it's stuff we'll get to later or uh, beyond, but when it comes to demonic oppression, you know, people have this idea in their heads, right. <laughs> of, of, uh, something just that they never see. They literally never see it coming into them. But this was something physical that your brother saw that you saw at least the, the outlines of, right? Yeah. Um, something you, you at least saw like a physical picture. Um, it, it doesn't seem to totally fit, but if, if I had to call it anything for me personally, I don't know about you, Johnny, but I, I would call it a, an oppression, a demonic oppression of some kind, mm-hmm. considering that it was trying, to, it was pushing all these thoughts in, trying to drive a wedge, um, and and you can clearly see it. Like he was coming home with you know totally disheveled and and didn't want to talk to his family. Um, you know that was it was definitely from my experience with my brother, totally tearing could have torn torn his family apart. Yeah, honestly, um, if, gone on. if my mom hadn't had reacted the way she did with, you know, in, you know, invoking Christ, um, that it, it it probably would have continued to do what it was doing to my brother to the point where uh, there would have been some kind of personality disorder. You know what I mean? Um, it, it was really kind of getting to that point where it was like my brother was so scared to go to school that like his he was getting violent, like before school. You know what I mean? He just like it was kind of heading that direction. And and obviously I've had years to think about this and, and years to apply it to other things that I've experienced. So a lot of these conclusions I've made were, you know, 20 years after it happened. 
So, you know, the, these weren't things that I thought of immediately after it occurred. These are things that have occurred to me over the years, thinking about it, applying to my own experiences and things that I've learned. Um, so when I talk about it like that, that's just, that's just me thinking about the incident over the years. So I honestly, to, to be perfectly honest with you, like I, I, I don't, I don't know how I would classify it. Honestly, I, I don't even know if I would classify it as a, as a demonic entity, really. That's how, it's how weird it, it just doesn't fit in most of the things that you hear when it comes to those type of things, except for the driving the wedge thing. Now, it definitely was definitely trying to isolate him. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds, I mean, it, it definitely sounds like he was trying to like separate him from everybody. I mean, and that's something that, that happens a lot in, these, in yeah. these kind of things. I mean, you know, whether it's, um, well, I mean, it, happen, it happens a lot with a lot of these demonic oppressions anyways. I mean, like sometimes it's not like an, an um, like an angry oppression. It like, it, it'll get you to, you know, to think poorly of your family and like, you know, your family's out to get you and, and gaslight you into, you know what I mean? Into turning on your own family. Yeah. 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 I mean, the thing was very clear and my brother like never wavered from, from this fact that it, it told him straight up, like you, you can't get rid of me. Mm. So, yeah. And that's and that's the crazy thing too is he saw it jump on another kid. on another kid yeah that I'm oh, wow I actually just got chill saying that hmm. um, he saw it jump on another kid man yeah <laughs> when yeah we, he, when we talk about like parasites and and demons because we we do the meme right Johnny we we talk about like parasites and demons and all this stuff and that's sure. something we'll go into on the main show but. That sounds like a parasitical demon. <laughs> Straight up. Parasitical up. something. I mean, I, it clearly it clearly was looking for victims, you know. And when it when one victim wasn't fulfilling what it was trying to accomplish, it found a different one. And you know, for years I've tried to like kind of like come up with which kid it jumped onto and I haven't been able to come up with it. But it really bugs me that my brother was never very clear about which kid it jumped onto. I don't even think he knew the kid really. Cause I would be very interested to see, to compare like what that person's outcome in life was now. You know what I mean? Johnny, what, do you, what are your bets on if it was a ginger or not? What, the kid? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would have said, uh, yeah, I would have made it attack a ginger. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, nobody likes they don't have souls, though, right? Yeah, they don't have souls, anyways. I mean, like you know, actually, probably not. Then if yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the it demon would have been like, yeah, what am I gonna do? Come on, kid. He's, yeah, yeah. It sees the ginger kid walking by. It's like, ah, damn it. Right. One day, one day. <laughs> if only. Probably pretty disappointed when they got on there. <laughs> It jumps on it, and it's like, oh, it's empty. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> it's kind. Of, it's kind of like when you go down, like you're gardening, or you're trying to at least, and you're, you're like trying to go down into the soil, and you're like, oh, really, clay? Mm-hmm. Oh man, mm-hmm. raised bed, bunch of rocks. Do I got to do that? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so that that was. Uh, I mean, that was that was a lot for me you know, at that age. And it, again, 
you know, my mom, now we're talking two incidents where my mom came in, rebuked whatever was going on, yelled at it, told it to leave, and it did. So about that point, I started to kind of get a, well, you know, if you just just yell at it, if you just confront it, it'll go away. And I, and I think about that point, I started to lose my natural fear of weird stuff hmm. because there would be weird stuff that would happen and I wouldn't tell anybody about it. I would just be like, oh, you know, that's just, it is what it is. Go away, whatever, you know. Um, you know, a lot, in a lot of ways that is, well, there's two ways you can go. That that could either be a really good thing or I told you that could be a really bad thing. Yeah. In my case, it kind of set me up for for what happens later because I didn't have that fear. Uh, it was actually made me more curious. Um, and it, around this time, my my mom started bringing us to church, so we started going to church a lot during this time. Um, for us, I remember a lot of Sunday schools. My mom was even um, she even had a Bible study. I wish I still had her Bible. It was an amazing KJV, um, and it had like uh, had like these little finger slots on the on the side, so you could like just and it would tell you like if it was Corinthians or whatever, and you could just put your finger in there and pull it open to whatever. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It was it was a really cool study Bible. Um, but uh, yeah, so so we started going to church pretty heavy during that time, and <clears throat> that it was a very very peaceful time. In the house, I remember, for, for the time that we were going. Nothing weird, really, I can think of that happened during that time. Uh, very peaceful. There was a lot of uh, a lot of fellowship that went on, and, and that was kind of really when, like, my belief was solidified. I, you know, I, you know, you're going to church, and, and you know, you're, you're part of that whole thing, and, and, and I could feel it, you know, when I was there, you know, I, I could feel, I felt, felt it. And feeling things was something that I had grown accustomed to, you know, you, when, when the magazines started flying all over my room, like the hair on the back of my neck stood up in my arms. When the thing was happening with my brother, like the back, you know, I would get that feeling again. Or then, you know, you're sitting in your room and you, you know, you, you start feeling that feeling and then you hear like a knock or something weird, right? So I associated my feelings with these things that were happening in my life up to that point. So when I would go to church and I would feel, I would feel that, but it, it felt warm, it felt comfortable, and it felt safe. So we we didn't go to church very long, um, and there was a a landslide, and the only person that it killed was our pastor. And at that point, my mom kind of suffered a crisis of faith, and we stopped going to church. Um, which I, I think that if I had continued to go to church, maybe some of the things that happened to me later on might not have happened. I, I, I probably wouldn't have strayed in that direction, but, um, what it kind of told me as a kid was that, you know, you could just turn off your faith. Like you, you didn't have to like always believe in something. You could just kind of like, ah, oh, well, it doesn't suit me because of this, whatever reason and I'm just going to stop doing what I'm doing. So 
um, because of that, it kind of set me up for where I kind of went to next. So, um, I don't like to brag or anything, but I, I was reading pretty high above my grade level at that point. So I was kind of consuming whatever media I could at the time. So I would check a lot of books out. And these books were always Bigfoot, UFOs, ghost books, um, you know, stuff like Where the Sidewalk Ends, that kind of stuff. Uh, Scary was, stories to tell in the dark. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I was all about that stuff. And yep. I was around the same time I started reading Stephen King books and all this stuff. So, oh, yeah. like, you know, I'm like so a nine-year-old at. kid consuming all this spoopy stuff, right? Oh, well, and, what was that, Johnny? Oh, I mean, I was, I was reading Stephen King in, like, third and fourth grade. Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, Stephen King, I, I had, Jaws, I confiscated uh, from me. Yeah, like it's, it's not like I went to a Christian school, but dude, I I had a couple taken from me because I was trying to read way above. Oh yeah, yeah, I had when I was in like I think it was either third or fourth grade. They took away Jaws, and they're like, that book is way that's way out of your. You shouldn't be reading this. It was at Christian school. So, so. <laughs> I Hartford. tried. I tried reading Jurassic Park. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. Well, Michael Crichton books weren't. I don't think they were as steamy or as bad. As... No, nah, they were more sci-fi. I think, yeah, right. I love Michael Crichton. No, it was stuff, more man. the language. Yeah, yeah. Oh, even though that uh, wasn't as bad. He he wrote Thirteenth Warrior, right? No, no, no. He that? wrote Congo, uh, Jurassic Park, um, State of, of Fear came out later, much later. Right, State okay. of Fear I was out of school. Um, what were some of the other ones he did? He did uh, he did a virus movie. I remember that. He did a virus uh, book. It turned into a movie. He did a lot of that kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah, he died of that that super fast acting pancreatic cancer that you get when you have information that would lead to the arrest of Hillary Clinton. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> or reading, something to that effect. Above your level, like that's. I feel like that's just something that we all have done, whether we've been in the occult or not, but especially mm -hmm. when we start later in life going into some occult topics or, or something later, we just, we're always the kind of people that are reading above. Yeah. We want to know a little bit more. We don't want to read about spot. We want to read about scary stories. Yeah. That was something that my, me and my brother, one day we'll share my brother and I's story, but we were always drawn to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, oh, I was very, very curious. And I, the other thing was I, I, I just accepted it on its face. Like I'm reading a Bigfoot book and I, I'm, yeah, you know, I have no reason to doubt that there's a, there's Bigfoot out there. Right. Like I never, I never really hit it with a skeptical mind. It just kind of was like, well, I mean, if all these people are saying that it's there and they're seeing it, well, I mean, you know, I've seen weird stuff too. So the equation is, is that if they've seen weird stuff and I've seen weird stuff, then it's real. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Johnny, but for me, I, I described myself as a Bigfoot Christian for a while for that exact reason. It was like, I, <laughs> I read about Bigfoot when I was a kid. I read about God when I was a kid. I never doubted either. Yeah. yeah. Right. I That's mean... exactly how my faith was blended with the spoop. hundred percent. Faith blended with the spoop. I'm, wow. I'm going to have to make that a tagline for something, I mean, Johnny. <laughs> I, maybe. I don't know. 
It sounds yeah. it sounds like you're trying to sell Christianity with that one or something. Yeah, okay, yeah, well, like way to ruin it. I mean, I'm just saying, you know. I mean, we could put it on a shirt, make some money off it. Yeah. No, um, if we're going to grift, you got to do it properly. <laughs> uh, seriously, though, like, no, I mean, you know, nobody's seen God, nobody's seen Bigfoot. You know, somebody did once. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of how I came to things was, you know, I from a young age, I had seen these weird documentaries from like eight years old. I had seen 9-11, seen other things. I was like, just because nobody's seen it doesn't mean it's not real. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. why why are we all you know, supposed to believe in this one thing? It, I don't know. I believe in God and I believe in Bigfoot. But <laughs> And and yeah, ghost ghost was something I tried to rationalize for a long time when I was a kid because I was like, it, they have to be real, especially later on. <laughs> like they're definitely real, right? In a certain way, right? It's different. You know, it, it's one thing to like see like a figure or whatever, or you know, you hear a noise, but to actually like see something fly through the air, <laughs> you know that that kind of like ties it into like being a real physical thing. When you so, when you see something outside your bedroom window that is so black in the middle of the night that no floodlight outside your house can illuminate it. Like yeah, you see dark. something that dark, there's nothing that can explain that. No. And that and that that can draw you one of two ways, right? And like you said, certain things drew you towards a more curious path. Well, I wanted to know, I mean, even when I was, I always wanted to know how things worked. Right. So my mom would tell me stories that, you know, you, you took apart your alarm clock one time and you couldn't put it back together, but you know, you took it apart. And when I asked you, why did you do this? It was like, well, I wanted to know how it worked. Obviously, you know, as a young child, you, you're not going to figure out how something works that way, but you're going to apply that kind of logic to what you're doing. So that's how I that that was the logic that I was applying to everything was, you know, I'm going to figure out how this works or, you know, what it is. So I, I started going crazy with the books. Um, you name it. I checked it out of the library. And in fact, it got to a point where I was like kind of starting to run out of material. So I was starting to read like sci-fi books and stuff because I I'd gone through all like the the nonfiction type books for Bigfoot and and those sorts of things. So around this time, I started having um, a really vivid dream, and in the dream, I would be in the library. This is my elementary school library, and um, I started to to have these dreams very vividly every night. And in the dream, there would be a little girl in the library and she was very um not attractive in the sense that like boyfriend girlfriend attractive but like you wanted to be around this person so she i wanted i liked that the dream the dream i liked being in the dream with her and i liked her being in the dream with me and so i kind of almost looked forward to having these dreams and the little girl started to ask me to take her home to take her out of the library. She, she, she told me that she couldn't leave the library. So luckily for me, I guess I started asking questions and the question that I would ask was, you know, where's your parents? And 
the kind of answers that she would give me that I can remember um, was basically that like she she needed help getting home, right? Like she needed me to bring her to her home. But she in any of the dreams, she never told me where her her home was. All she would tell me is that she needed to get back to her father. So when I would kind of press this in the dream and and mind you, like this is a full on like lucid dream that I'm having where it's 100 percent real to me. Even when I wake up, I'm like, wow, that was that wasn't a dream. That was like a really a thing that happened to me. Um, but she, she would start to get mad as I would kind of challenge why or how she couldn't get home. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't understand why, like, why can't you get home? Like, why can't you just go home? Or like, why can't you tell me where you live? You know, cause my thought pattern was like, I could tell her parents, Hey, <laughs> she's stuck in the library. You need to come and get her. Um, and the fact that now I'm even thinking about like, yeah, you know, I'm talking to a ghost as a child, like it's not even weird. And then you kind of start to think about imaginary friends and those sorts of things and how kids just act like it's not weird at all. Like it's just it's part of their reality. And that that's how I was approaching it. That's how it was to me. So as I started to kind of like resist this notion of me taking her out of the library or out to her home, even though she would never tell me where she lived or she couldn't tell me where she lived. Then the dream started to turn like nightmarish. Like the, the library would become dark. Nobody was in the building. It was old. Like it was abandoned. You know, she would disappear and I would just hear her like, in the library, like saying things to me, like being mad and like telling me I was bad. I was a bad person and things like that. And, you know, um, it was very much like a 180, like this thing wasn't getting what it wanted out of me. So now it just started to turn like vicious. It it was, it was bizarre. So I ended up telling my mom about this particular incident, my dreams, um, and so my mom reacted in, in, in a similar manner that she had reacted with my brother and, and, and the magazine thing. And she, she was like, leave my son alone. You're not welcome here. She went through the whole thing. It was a lot less religious this time around because we hadn't been going to church and stuff, but there was still an element to that, if that makes sense. And uh, that really, by that point in time, like I was like, I can get rid of anything as long as I challenge it. And I think at that point, like my fear of what was in the dark, aside from the natural fear you get, you know, that that feeling, the, the adrenaline, that sort of thing. But like my inhibition was gone. So my inhibition towards these things like had completely evaporated at that point. And... I kind of just accepted these things as happenstances was something that was part of my life. That was part of being alive. That was not going away. And it was something that I was going to continue to experience. And I kind of just relegated to the fact that I was going to continue to experiencing weird stuff. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, you know, 
I, I never really was worried about like the ridicule aspect of it or whatever. Like I'd tell my friends and my friends would laugh at me or tell, them, Oh man, you making that up or whatever. And I'd just be like, I look, I know what I saw. I don't need to prove anything to you. You either believe it or you don't. So right. I kind of had a very liaise fair attitude with, with telling people about these things. It didn't bother me to tell people about these things because I didn't care. Well, if thought I was crazy or making it up. So before we get to <clears throat> telling other people about these things, um, so this girl here, and I, I want to make sure we get to this before we take a, a quick break. Yeah. Um, this experience that you had, at, Johnny, I want to know what you think about this. First, I mean, th this girl library, I mean, to me, this screams something. But I, I want to know your thoughts. Did we lose Johnny? I might want to unmute myself. Um, yeah, what <laughs> happened? I said it that, that had like heavy black eyed kids vibes. Yeah, yeah, something that you you need to invite in. That's that's the craziest thing to me mm -hmm. is it it felt that it needed to be invited in, which is a hallmark of something more sinister than just a, a you know, a, a uh, an apparition. And apparitions don't typically appear in your dreams. You know, they're things that happen when you're a single woman sleeping in a bedroom in a, you know, South Carolina hotel. <laughs> what? Am I missing context here? Eh, it's Manchingo. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway. But no, seriously, that these oh, things do right. not just appear in your dreams as as benevolent beings. Typically, like coming into your dreams is is the sign of something that isn't just stuck. Right? It's not just a glitch in the matrix. It tends to be something more intelligent. Mm, yeah, I get what you're saying now. Yeah. Um, that does seem really sinister that it showed up in a dream first or no. Did it show up in the dream first or was it in the, yeah, it, was in the dream. it never, nothing ever appeared to me in waking life. Okay. 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 Thing. It, it, it was all dreams and it was, um, it was all reoccurring dreams and they, they were, ha it happened probably over a month period or so that, that, I was interacting with in the dreams. Recurring dreams are really freaky in themselves. Like that's just weird to me how you can have the same dream over and over and over again. Um, but especially a weird dream where you're having something sinister like that happen and you're interacting with it. That's just, mm, don't like that at all. <clears throat> yeah. Mm, nope. Not a fan there. Not a fan. Not, um, not wanting to go to sleep, you know, for that. Oh good. We're going to do that again tonight. Great. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was um, great. I looked forward to the dreams until it decided to, uh, you know, kind of like show, like let the mask slip. Right, right, right. And that's you know how it usually goes. Right. Um, well, why don't we take a uh, a quick break here, and then we'll we'll come back because we have uh, some more to get to before we cut out for the night. Yeah, sounds good. Let's do that. All right.
so we're back and still talking to Malice now. Wow. <laughs> I mean, we could have ended the show right then. It, the childhood experiences, and I've had my own, um, but the childhood experiences that you've had, all I can really say is praise the Lord that you're alive at this point. Because that's, that's a lot for somebody to deal with, but it doesn't end there. Your curiosity doesn't end there. And I think all of us sitting here around this campfire can attest to that, right? When you get that taste for something more that's out there, you go looking. You don't really know where because you're a kid. You know, you just kind of reach out and, and feel, you know, there's something dark for sure. You may know or may not know that there's something light, but you just reach your hand out and keep doing it. Um, and eventually you, you hit something or someone, right? What, yeah. What yeah, it's, it's kind grabbed of like, onto you? Or what yeah, did you like, grab onto? It's, it's like the, um, you know, you want to see what's over the next hill. So, right. Um, about this time I, I'm in middle school and, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at a park and one of the, the big things to do around that time for us, for our age group was, was to do the, 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 the sword fighting LARP stuff at, at the park. And, and there was a group of guys that were like, that would have all the like foam armor and all that stuff. And they would go out there and then, you know, after they would do their thing, they would let us spar. And so we, we were really into that. We were doing that a lot. And then we kind of like modified our own stuff. So I think we stole a bunch of stakes from like a construction site. And then we like wrapped, wrapped them with like duct tape or something, you know, bare bones. You're still hurt when you got hit with it but not enough to like really do damage. So I ended up, I ended up beating this guy, um, Timmy and, uh, we hit it off, uh, you know, uh, ended up, uh, starting to go over to his house and hang out with him a lot. And he, he actually, he actually introduced me to a lot of world war two stuff. Um, dude was a phenomenal artist and he would draw all this world war two themed stuff. So, I mean, like, ME 109s, you know, stupid dive bombers, you know, attacking British. And like, I mean, the, the, the stuff the guy dropped was amazing. And he was super into German, um, German stuff at the time. I mean, he had a full, he had a full authentic German uniform. <laughs> and he just had all this crazy awesome. stuff. Oh, he was, yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was cool stuff, man. I mean, he had all kinds of Nazi paraphernalia. <laughs> And, uh, you know, as a kid, you're like, oh, man, you're not supposed to have this stuff. So it made it even cooler. You know what I mean? Well, and this was what? Early 90s, late 80s? This would have been 92, 92-ish, 93-ish. Okay. Okay. All right. So early 90s. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I wasn't alive then. What about there? There was, what, what about there was no woke culture, I can tell you that. So... How yeah, old were you? No, how old know. were you around this time? How old were you around that time? Oh, I uh, would have been fourteen. Okay, fourteen-ish. Okay, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah. 
So, um, so me and Timmy hit it off and I'm going to Timmy's house all the time and we're, you know, we're, we're hiking and doing all kinds of stuff. I, I live in a pretty rural area. So, you know, you walk half a mile and you're in the middle of nowhere. So we would go hiking. We do all kinds of stuff. He was into motorcycles, we'd go ride his motorcycle around. Now, as I got to know him, I, I could tell he was he was a very bothered individual. Like there was something going on with him, and um, he was a scary dude at times. And some of the stuff would kind of catch me off guard. And I remember I started talking to him, like kind of I wanted to know like what his deal was. And before I met him, because he moved he moved to my town from Oregon, I believe. And so he was he was new there. Like I didn't grow up with this guy. It was a small town, so um, you know, by the time you're in middle school, pretty much you've known everybody since you were in elementary school, right? You've been to their birthday parties, you their your parents know their parents, that kind of thing. But uh, Tyler wasn't from around here, so he didn't have a lot of friends. I probably was his first friend. And I get to talking to him, and he had shortly after he had moved to the valley. Um, he was he was out hiking and he came across a body floating in a creek. A guy had Oof. just been shot probably 10, 15 minutes before he found him. In fact, he he told me that when he found the guy, there was like steam coming off of the wound. You know, it was wintertime. So the guy the guy had just been shot in the head and dumped in Whoa. this drainage Damn. ditch. Damn. That's yeah. Yeesh. Yeah, so so Tyler was having a lot of issues, and you know, at first I just thought, well, man, he found a dead body. That's got to be crazy. You know, everybody's seen Stand by Me. You know what mm-hmm. it's like to find a dead person or whatever. But um, want to see he, a dead body? He was having a lot of problems with it, <laughs> and so I pressed. <laughs> I caught that, Johnny. <laughs> what was? It? Huh? Oh no, go ahead. Anyways. Sorry. Anyways, um, I'll have to listen to it on the replay. So uh, he uh, he confided in me that that he was he was seeing this guy in his house. So um, so so Tyler found this guy's dead, freshly dead body, and for whatever reason, he's seeing this guy now in his house when he's alone. His his, his you know his mom's a single mom, um, and he's got a sister, but she's never at home. So he's at home a lot by himself, and he's seeing this this dead guy um, in his house. And this this is the guy that he found. This is the guy that he found dead, floating in the in the uh, in the irrigation ditch. Now, real quick, I I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but or not like interrupt the whole flow that we have here. But did he like have anything to do with the police or? Yeah, was no, this like he, an ongoing thing? He was the one that reported it. He, okay, he, he, you know, he had to talk to the police statement, holding yards, and okay. All right. I, I don't believe he was part of the criminal trial because they did arrest the people that killed him. Gotcha. Uh, All right. Eventually, but um, but yeah, so so he had to go through some things with this, but at the time that I knew him, like it, it had all passed. Like the, the people had been arrested. They'd already been tried or they were going through the trial or whatever. 
but he was seeing he was seeing the dead guy in his house. So he would see him in his hallway. He would see him in his doorway at night. He'd wake up in the middle of the night, and this guy would be standing in his doorway, staring at him. Damn. God. So, so I had all these books that I had checked out of the library and stuff that I had read. And so I was pretty confident that I could get rid of this ghost for, for Timmy. So I, I went home and over the next few weeks, I put cobbled together a little, uh, uh, spell that I was going to cast for, for Timmy at his house to get rid of this thing. So I told him what I was going to do and he, he wasn't resistant to it at all. He was actually kind of, I, I think he, he was like, you know, anything that would give him relief at that point, he was open to it. So I went ahead and I put together this, this little, this little spell that I, that I'd found and, and, and I, I, I had sage and I did the whole, whole bit with salt and a few weeks later, I talked to Tyler and he's not having the experience anymore. So not only did I feel very, I felt, I felt very powerful when I was doing the ceremony, but once I finished with the ceremony, I felt powerful. But then when he told me that he wasn't seeing this dead guy anymore, then I felt like I could control things. And I felt like, not only can I just confront something and make it leave, but now I can actively do something and, and make things permanently leave. And that was, a um, it was, it was a rush. It was a big, big ego boost. And it was, um, it, you know, you're in a weird age, you know, at 13 and 14, you're, you're having a lot of changes going on. You kind of don't really know where you fit in. Socially, everything's crazy, like, but now I have something that I can absolutely control. And when you, when you kind of get that control, it's, it's kind of intoxicating. It's something that you want to reproduce. It's, it's something that you want to keep doing. And with that, like really swung the door wide open for me. And at that point I made the decision that I was going to, learn more. I was going to continue to research this stuff and I was I was going to continue down this path. And at that point I was starting to discover Wicca. And so I made the decision that I was going to be a Wiccan. And I was going to learn Wicca. And so with that I started I got Mists of Avalon and I got a bunch of different um, Gardenian Wicca books, and I started to practice Wicca. Actively started to pra- practice Wicca. I built an altar. I got my athame. I made a wand. Um, I, I did all the things that you're supposed to do, um, and then that kind of that led me into that led me into meeting certain types of people. And by this time I'm in, you know, I'm a freshman. So I start to meet people that are, that are like-minded and people that are, that are, that are going down this path with me. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of where my brother ended up uh, for a long time was meeting people in high school 
that where suddenly you get into these crowds and you understand like, oh, wow, there are other people that are involved in these things that feel the same way that have had this experience or that or even people that haven't, um, you know, that believe these things. And you it's a sense of belonging. Right. Yeah, totally. Um You've, and, and not only that, it's not only just belonging, but you're you're in a super secret club. You know what I mean? Right. Like you can do stuff that normal people can't do. Oh, my God. Well, all all three of us here know, like, what it's like to be in a super secret club. Yeah. And it, and it feels good. Like, it, it really does. Like, that secret that, you know, I'm part of something that nobody else is. Sure. And right. I know stuff that you don't know. I'm paying more than you're paying. <laughs> well, there's that too. Yeah. Uh, yes. I'm feeding. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> listen. Listen. But yeah. Maybe I can get. Maybe I can get my girlfriend to pay my phone bill for a couple of months so I can afford a higher level. Oosh. Yeah. <laughs> that was a horror. That that was a horrible thing to read. That's a terrible. That was a troll. I'm sure, but like. It had to have been. Everything, I, everything I has a kernel of truth in it, dude. Everything has a kernel of truth in it. Oh, my God. Well. <laughs> anyway. But, anyway. But, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> when it comes to, yes, the the Wicca stuff, specifically, like, when you're in high school, because I feel like that's something that we've all seen, right? The weird witch kids, the goth kids. Even if you're, like, a metalhead, you still kind of separate from the weird goth witch kids because there is that separation right it's stuff sure. that like they do that you don't well yeah they're the weird goth kids you know yeah and they are you like hang out with them. you Nobody may go to a metal show and hang out in the, the pit but like these guys actually like there's rumors about them <laughs> right <laughs> and there's also that I don't know. For me, it was like you, you go to a metal show, you may be in the pit, whatever, but then these kids like go out to the train tracks at midnight and do this weird shit. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, you'll find them at a graveyard. So. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the meme that's presented. However, there is a certain group that does go out and do that, and that does have a profound effect. Like, you're sacrificing animals. That Man, you find a high school group that's doing that, and that has power. Sure. These kids are messing with things that do have power in the end. Right. Well, I told you guys. I mean, you've heard the story about our house in Maine. Where they had that. I've heard it many times that it's it's still horrifying every single time I hear it. Yep. You just come home from a long vacation to find, you know, dead animal parts and blood and upside down crosses and pentagrams inside your chicken coop. Yeah. I would be starting a crusade. <laughs> I was 11. Oh, yeah. I was 11. I was like, you know, I mean, I was 11 and I was reading like the stand and plague and jaws and like, what else was I reading? Like the bad stuff, Stephen King, you know, so I was reading the stand when I was 11. It's a big book. The stuff you don't need to be reading. Yeah. The stuff that like I would read and give myself nightmares and keep me up. So I would read some more. Yeah. See, I was doing cycle. I was doing that, but also reading like the Silmarillion. Oh, I had already read all those. Yeah, by that point. Yeah, yeah. I was on my second go around. I was on my second go around of Lord of the Rings when I was twelve. 
Exactly. Yeah. I, I see. I was picking out the horror stuff and the the scary stuff and everything, but I was also picking out the fantasy because I knew the fantasy was in some way it had to be reality. Mm. I didn't get into fantasy. I didn't get into fantasy stuff. I was into horror and um, like really spoopy stuff, like Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe when I was younger. Clive Barker was one that I was. Into I didn't a get lot. into Clive Barker until I found Clive Barker through what was he was part of the Hellraiser thing, right? He wrote Hellraiser, directed yeah, Hellraiser, right, yeah, right. The, That's the first book I ever read of his was Weave World. Yeah, I didn't read any of his stuff until after I saw Hellraiser. It's a really weird book. Yeah, okay. see, I'm the same way. I I saw Hellraiser and then read Clive Barker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it came after seeing the film. Right. Films. But like, okay, so I didn't get into fantasy until I want to say it was like ninth grade and I discovered the Dragonlance series. Oh, yeah. I mean, other than The Hobbit, that's not true because I did read The Hobbit. I read, I mean, I read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and all that stuff. So, yeah, I see. I don't consider, (laughs) I don't consider Tolkien fantasy. I'm sorry. It's history. (laughs) I, at this point, I don't. And now I, I don't consider Ooh, I don't know, throw rings, my of, microphone rings, on the floor. rings of power. Rings. Right. Token. Um, oh, man. If everybody doesn't see wait, the op that is that is rings of power, I don't know what to tell you people. Like, uh, yeah, I, I've Tol- been calling it for years. We've all been – all three of yeah. us have been calling it for years. Listen, so. Tolkien hated the Nazis, so fuck them. Who cares? <laughs> oh, my God. That was terrible to listen Tolkien to. Tolkien was He was on the – Side of the typhonic magic, yeah. With Alistair that what, that's, see, listening to something like that is when I wish I still had access to the dark forces. No. Cocaine? Huh? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> What'd you say? I said cocaine. I mean, no. I mean, yeah, no. I don't wish that part of it. No, but uh. <laughs> no, like a summoning spell to get rid of. You know, hey, do me a favor. Well, <laughs> well, as far as dark forces go, it's – I mean, Malice, what, you, you're able to provide a little bit of insight into this, obviously. <laughs> At this age, you know, when, when we think of dark forces, right, we're, yeah. we're immature, right? Yeah. At this age, 13, 14, I, we were all super into horror. Mm-hmm. We're into these things. I had already had my childhood experiences, and they continued until I was about 17, um, but 13, 14 ish, you're getting interested in these things and you realize that you have some power. Yep. So where does this go? And, and we'll save the, the real stuff. I mean, this is going to be several parts. I don't, I, I don't even know how far with, this is going to go. Without opening the can of worms too much. Um, yeah, I, I, I met a couple guys, um, and we'll call them Donnie and Jesse. And uh, Donnie, Donnie's mom was dating a guy who owned owned a construction company, and he lived in like a fourteen bedroom house in like the swanky area. And she would stay with him all month and come home for like a weekend, fill the fill the house with groceries, and then take off again. So. We had full reign of a house <laughs> with no parental oversight, and um, 
Is that, just that's, started that seems to be a common occurrence for Gen Xers. Like, I think everybody had a friend like that. I had a friend like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, it was exactly. great, man. I mean, because that's where we were at. I mean, if you had nowhere else to be, you know, you could go over to Donnie's house and hell, even if he wasn't there, you'd climb through a window and hang out. Right. It was always open. Dude, I, I'm sure at, at this point, we've all heard uh, Zach King, the former, you know, high priest of Satan that, you know, performed magic rituals for everybody in Hollywood that was like, yeah, you know, we all have that friend. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we got into kid porn and, and, Satanic Temple, right? Um, well, so yeah, that, that was around actually, the time that I started trying to join the Temple of Set too. So, oh man, how old were you when you did that? Thirteen, <laughs> fourteen, I think I was okay. when I tried to join the Temple of Set. Yeah, we didn't, exactly, like, I didn't have access to, to the like Temple of Set around DMs, right? Yeah, well, yeah. This is this is archaic internet days. <laughs> Um, where a lot of websites would give you a mailing address, you know what I mean? There wasn't there wasn't like a, a contact us in an email address at a lot of these sites, but uh, I, I ended up talking to somebody from the Temple of Set for a month or some change. I think once I realized I was a kid and I didn't have money, that it was you know. But uh, call us yeah. in a few years, kid. Yeah, call us call <laughs> us when you have a, a job and you can pay dues. So. So how did this end up? I mean, you meet these couple of guys, Donnie and Jesse. You've already been friends with this guy, Timmy. You helped him, for lack of a better term, exercise this spirit that he had been seeing. Yeah. I mean, what what did this open up for you before we leave here? So well, I'll leave you with this. So so once once um, once kind of the, the common interest was something that kind of presented itself, we – played a Ouija board or something like that. That kind of like, you know, and then me, Donnie and Jesse kind of were the ones that afterwards were like, we're going to do this, but we're going to like be serious about it. And once we kind of made that decision, then it was like, Jesse was bringing over books. So the first batch of books he brought over was the Necronomicon. And obviously, yes, I know it's a fake book, but it's a cobbled together book of real grim wars. So there is actual grim war contents in the the Necronomicon, right? So it's it's not completely a, a, a fake book. The 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 there is a fiction story in there of the mad Arab. I mean that's all made up, clearly. But you know, when you're looking at the fifty seals and, and you're looking at, you know, these different sigils, these are actually in other grimoires and they're all seals to fallen angels right so that portion of it is legit and then the the second book that he brought over was an Aleister Crowley book um and it was it was a Thelma book I can't remember exactly which one it was because I ended up reading all of them at some point but we started to we started to 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 read Aleister Crowley so we started to learn Thelma and there was another book. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was called, but basically this was kind of um, like an introductory into practicing magic. Um, and You're talking about this was was it the smaller books like the Book of Lies or the Book of the Law? Uh, yeah, I, I think it was the Book of the Law. Yeah, it, it, was, it was it was one of the it was like it was like his it was definitely had to do with Thelma. And it's like a big it's, hef- it's a hefty pamphlet. 
Not really a book. Yeah. 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 So it kind of it leads you into his other stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Essentially. Yeah. You don't you don't often start off with magic with the, with the K. That one's like eighteen hundred mm-hmm. pages. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't yeah. start with like the anal magic. Well, that's that. the, no, yeah, that's but the, it's that, not, that not came, well, that came up really quickly. The sexual magic aspect stuff mm-hmm. came up very quickly in did it in, when yes, oh yeah, it, it's, it's, it's right there not in the something beginning. Something that's yeah. hidden behind too many doors. No, uh, he talks that, about John? the Book of the Law is like I said, it's like the intro to Crowley. It's a um, I don't know sixty something page book. It's not that thick, but um, right, but it's in there. You know, he yeah. talks about he talks about all the. I mean. You know, I still have I still have all my Crowley stuff in a box. So yeah, why? You, why? why? Because I because I all I still have all that stuff, dude. I have you I, got rid of the one thing. Yeah, that's actually like Jewish magic. This is I don't I'm not worried about that stuff. Like I have like I have marks. You know, I mean, I have I have um, Das Kapital and I have uh, you know rules for radicals and other things that are you know what I mean. And I have a very and diverse you wonder library. Why things right happen in your home? Nothing happens in my home. You, you wonder why things go on in a normal home when they shouldn't. What are you talking can, can about? Can I can I interject? I unless you're I, a lot of it has to do with will. So I mean, unless you're like reading that book and you're kind of like into what it's saying. Yeah, just having a book's not gonna. It's it's not. Yeah. yeah. I I, no, I know you disagree, disagree. Reinhardt. I know you disagree. I'm not in. Look, I have a I have a Ouija board upstairs yeah. in one of my closets, unopened. That's probably worth some. Uh, really, like an unopened yeah. from an uh, unopened one, yeah. Whatever it was. It now, now is this is this like a Parker Brothers? Like, it's a Parker Brothers. Yeah, it's the the original yeah, yeah. Parker Brothers. They're still legit. I mean, it, I mean, you could use you could use a piece of glass and and handwritten paper. Mm-hmm. Oh sure, like a Ouija board print. and a planchette. Oh sure. Yeah. Sure, and you're, and you're right about intent. And I think I think this is where we're going to leave off for tonight. But you're right about intent. Um, I respectfully disagree about having texts in your home because your home is a very sacred place, and your home being a temple unto itself for your family. But intent is a very big part, and and I know you understand that more than most people. So I'll I'll leave you with this. So the the first major lesson introduction stepping stone wasn't the thing that I did at Timmy's house or reading the Aleister Crowley thing. It was it was learning these four concepts, and it was it was to know is to will, to will is to dare, to dare is to keep silent. Okay. And when you when you apply those things magically, it solidifies how you're going to practice magic going forward. And you're going to do it through the desire for knowledge, knowledge that you shouldn't have in most cases, the the will to obtain that knowledge and through that will to dare to do dangerous things. And then to not tell anybody about it besides the people that are initiated. And if you apply those four concepts to everything you see in modern reality, you'll see it repeat through everything. So you'll see it repeat through Masonic. You'll see it repeat through Rosicrucians. You'll see it repeat through, you know, just, I mean, throw a dart at 
a secret society, and those are the rules that you have. Those are basic mystery school introduction rules. Dang, I well, basically, did not all think the, you wanted to share that. Sorry, go ahead, Johnny. You no, know, all those secret societies all basically have the exact same rule book. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah. I forgot the video. It was a while back, um, but somebody went through. This guy went through. Um, he, I don't remember, you remember the guy? He had like a really bad New Jersey accent or something. He went through all of the, uh, all of the different secret societies, and he showed like how all of their halls are laid out exactly the same. No matter yes. what country, yeah, and all the all the rules are almost exactly identical, and they all go back to the Benai Brith and all that. Yep. Yeah. Interesting connection. Benai yeah, yeah, and yeah, and, mm. yeah. and in, in my research, they all go back to you know masonry, which goes back to the line of Cain, which goes back to the serpent. You know, they're they're literally called serpent schools, mystery schools. I mean, Malice, you you called them mystery schools. That's what they are. Right, these schools of mystery. learning mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> this, guy, mysteries this are... is the guy that doesn't believe that the Masons are that old, right? He 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 believes that they that he believes that they believe that they're that old. You know that they're being taught that they're actually that that they're that old, but they're not really. They're being lied to about that as well. I hope not. What's that? I mean, I. Well, I well lying that. lying is also oh. integral in in all this too. Like lying is a very important part of magic like well, the whole theory is that the masons are like a double reverse sort of uh you know not um what's the word i'm looking for it's like a like a, a red herring but also um but also not at yeah, the same right, time exactly, exactly. Well, that's that's exactly what i believe about the masons most most of the mystery schools are set up like that on purpose and that's that's to misdirect that's where the lies come in. That's that's well, dude. What are you talking about, Masons? It's just a couple dudes getting together and they're buddies in Christ, you know. And those low-level Masons are that. Sure, they are that, and they'll never know that beyond that point. And then if you were to ask them, they'll honestly believe that when they're telling you that that's all they are, because they'll never go past the gate network that's in place to weed the ones that are actually going to walk that left-hand path because to walk that left-hand path you're going to have to do something that's dark and most people won't do it right you know well i think that's a oh go ahead no i was just gonna say but i mean that that's the bottom line Mm -hmm. right stone cold said so Well, I think it's a good place to leave it for for tonight around this campfire. I mean, we, we've gone from childhood experiences straight into, well, what the left-hand path really means. Full-on magical theory. And, right. I mean, your life goes far beyond just eighth, ninth grade trying to get into some of this stuff. And like I said at the beginning of the show, praise God that you're even alive from the experiences that you've had. Um, but brother, that there's so much out there that if you're not careful, and I, I don't say this lightly, if you're not careful that you can actually fall into and it sucks you in. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is definitely, I mean, you know, it's like this, the sort of Democles or, However you say it, um, you know, it's uh, sort of Damocles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it really is. There is a sword hanging over you by a, a, a hair when you're doing these things. I mean, 
at any time I could have very easily continued on that left-hand path to the point where, like, you do something that you can't come back from. Hmm. And it's incredible that you didn't fall into that, that you didn't fall to that blade, that you were able to come back. Yeah. Um, well, it's and just that'll be so that you can come back. So right. Yeah. Right. The fact that I could come back. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and that is that is more stuff that we'll get into later on. Which is interesting for considering now. the whole concept of reprobate and and like what well, that doesn't make. You know what I mean? We were talking about yeah. that the other day. How certain people can't come back. Yep. Yeah. Mm. But you can exactly. come back from black they're, magic. Interesting. There. Yeah. But you can't come back from butt sex. No. <laughs> Right. You can't undo that. You can't un <laughs> never mind, John. All right. <laughs> We're trying to end the show. Wow. All right. All right, enough shit post. All right. Wow. Uh literally. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a point that you can't come back from. However, you did. And uh we will share more of that as we go forward on this campfire. Um Thank you all very much for joining us. And Malice, thank you so much for, for coming around and sharing your story with us. There is so much more to get to, but for now, we'll leave it here. Thank you all very much. Um, please don't don't forget to join us at Paranormies.com, uh, on Telegram at t.me slash the Paranormies present. Um, at our website, you can find all of our Telegram links. You can find our RSS uh, where you can listen to seasons seven and six in their entirety uh, for free. You can find the archives for our earlier shows. You can find our dissonant apparel link to get our merch. Everything is there. And it's an awesome looking website. It yes. just really is cool. It's very, very cool website. I will never stop saying that. It's very cool. It's, it's freaking awesome. Um, Malice, do you, do you have anything that you want to say as just kind of a last message or? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to get to talk about some of this stuff. Um, you know, I hope I hope some of it will, you know, help other people that are kind of in the same spot that I was at one point. Yeah, it's it's a rough spot. And in this community, we have a lot of people who are searching for their beliefs. You know, all of us in one way or another, we, I don't think that I'm being too forward when I say that we are all Christians in one sense or another. Um, we're in different points in our beliefs. That's for sure. And on the show, we entertain a lot of different beliefs. <laughs> um, but wherever people are at, we hope that, you know, we're not encouraging something dangerous. Yeah. I want to let people know that wherever you've been, there are dark things out there, and we don't want them to fall into those traps. And it's becoming – it's increasing. So um, hopefully people take some of this as we go forward as uh, a warning, not an instruction manual. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't follow those four rules. <laughs> Please do not. I didn't know you were going to share those. <laughs> but, um, yeah, thank you all so much for coming to sit with us around the campfire. We will see you all very soon. Have a great night. Later. <laughs>